Welcome to Against the Grain Podcast with Dr. Chad Edwards, where he challenges the status quo when it comes to medicine. We get into hot topics in the medical field with real stories from real patients to help you on your way to a healthy lifestyle. Get ready, because we're about to go, go, against the grain. Hi, this is the wonderful Nathan Arnold. I'm here with Dr. Chad Edwards of Revolution Health and Wellness. He is a physician in the Tulsa area and he was a former U.S. military member and served many overseas tours. Iraq? Iraq. Afghanistan? No. No. Okay, he did not serve in Afghanistan, but anyways, he is a physician. And what are we going to be talking about today, Dr. Edwards? So today we're talking about a very, very controversial topic. Um, And, you know, for I've seen many cases of this. I've seen a lot of issues with this. Uh, So today we're going to talk about Lyme disease and why, uh, why this is so tumultuous and why it's just so controversial. So basically we're going to talk about the testing for Lyme disease. And I think that this is going to be the beginning of a multi-part series on Lyme disease. So there'll be several podcasts that we're going to talk about Lyme disease and why some patients feel so bad. Um, You know, for example, I had a patient that came in this last week and I would have missed this patient having Lyme disease if I didn't have the appropriate training and questionnaires and tools and you know, I had recently went to work with, um, or I, I got a chance to meet uh, Dr. Richard Horowitz, arguably one of the world's leaders in Lyme disease. Uh, yeah. Literally has traveled the world discussing Lyme disease, uh, was recruited by the Chinese government to evaluate Lyme disease in China. Wow. And they estimate that 6% of the Chinese population has Lyme disease. Wow. 6%. 6%. Any idea how yeah. many Chinese people there are? There's a lot. I mean, that, yeah. do 6% of a whole lot. Yeah. That's still a whole lot. Still a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, this guy is just phenomenal, uh, and it was uh, life changing uh, working with him. And he gave me some tools that I had a patient this week that felt bad, thought it was kind of testosterone related, started some testosterone, and then uh, they came in to see me, and I said, you know what, we need to look at we need to look at something. Fill out this questionnaire, and the questionnaire was double the high end of this tick-borne illness, Lyme disease being a possibility for his, for his problem. We did confirmatory testing and sure enough, he has Lyme disease. Wow. And I never would have caught it had I not had the proper, um, uh, the proper training, exposures kind of things. So today what I wanted to go into the detail uh, about specifically Lyme disease is how we test for it and why is it such a rocky topic. You right. ask any physician in Oklahoma, do we have Lyme disease in Oklahoma? And they'll say, no, 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 we, I, we, don't, we don't see Lyme disease in Oklahoma. Why is that? And yeah, so, and that's what we're going to get into. Great. Cool? Great. All right. So basically, the, there are, in order to understand why this is kind of a rocky topic, you got to understand that there's two different primary societies. You know, we have in, in medicine, we have a lot of societies, you know, the, and, and memberships in certain, I'll call them clubs, uh, but just these, these groups. Uh, and so one group that looks at Lyme disease is the IDSA, which is Infectious Diseases Society of America. And they have certain criteria for how they diagnose and evaluate Lyme disease. 
The other side of the coin, though, is another group called ILADS, which is the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society. Now, both of these groups are, you know, they're, they're um, comp comprised of physicians, nurse practitioners, you know, medical professionals, very intelligent, smart people, yet they see two different sides of the same problem and come to two different conclusions. Mm. And so, you know, we're going to talk about why that is. Okay. Sounds good. <clears throat> so the, the testing for Lyme disease, there's, you know, there, when it comes to medical problems, you can have all different kinds of testing. And I, I think before we get into the testing, let me just kind of convey, um, there's, there are criteria for diagnosis and there are criteria for epidemiology. And the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, does epidemiologic data. They evaluate epidemiologic data for Lyme disease because they're trying to track where in the country do we find Lyme disease. And so they use epidemiologic criteria, meaning that if, uh, let's say you had cancer mm. and your cancer falls into a certain category and they're going to say, well, we're going to look for this specific tumor marker so that we can follow all the people with this tumor marker and see what happens or where are they or what's going on or those kinds of things. Now, if you have that tumor marker, you're lumped into their group. If, you're not, if you don't have that tumor marker, you're not lumped into that group. It doesn't mean that you don't have cancer. Right. It means that your cancer doesn't express that, that tumor marker. And, you know, basically they're saying we have to draw the line somewhere. Right. So where are we going to draw that line mm. so that we can follow this particular group of patients? And, and the epidemiologic data is different than diagnostic criteria. And the criteria that the CDC uses for epidemiologic data was never intended to be diagnostic. Now, the problem is, is it has become diagnostic, and that is part of the problem. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. Okay, sounds great. It seems very general. Like, do you feel that it's too general, the way that they would do the epidemiologic? Epidemiologic, yeah. Okay. Do you feel that it's general to conclude that, like, if you show this certain characteristic, then we put you over here, and if you don't have this tumor marker or... This, like you said, this tumor marker, yeah. do you feel that it's too general just to say, okay, you don't d exhibit this specific characteristic, so we're not going to put you over here with this group, or do you think that's the right way to do it? Does it matter? Well, I don't, I don't fault the CDC for, for having this epidemiologic data. Right. Uh, they're using it for tracking. The problem that I have is when it has come down to its diagnostic criteria, it was never intended to be diagnostic criteria. It's not diagnostic criteria. The problem is not, you know, with, with the cancer and the tumor marker, the, the problem is not, you know, are they following these people with these tumor markers? That's not the problem. The problem is when we say, oh, the CDC is using this to follow this group of patients, but if you don't have that, you don't have cancer. Right. That's the problem. Right. So in the case of Lyme disease, they're using the wrong criteria to say that you do or don't have, uh, they're, you, let me rephrase that. It's not that they're using the wrong criteria. They're using incomplete data mm. to say you do or do not have a disease, specifically in this case, Lyme disease. Right. Uh, so when it, when it comes to the testing, you can do direct testing and you can do indirect testing. Direct testing means things like a blood culture, uh, a DNA amplification, or what we call a PCR. Uh, you can test antigens in urine. Uh, you can do dark field microscopy. That's where we take the blood, put it out. You know, for syphilis, we used to do uh, what's called dark field microscopy. And 
you can do the same thing for Lyme disease because they're both spirochetes. They're the both same the the same kind, same type of bacteria. The interesting thing about Lyme disease or Borrelia burgdorferi uh, or Borrelia species um, or genus, I should say, is that the genome, the genetic makeup of that bacteria, is orders of magnitude greater than that of other bacteria. It, think about it as a smart bacteria. It has, I want to say, tenfold the amount of DNA that your standard bacteria has. Whoa. So, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's more intelligent, but it's much more. It has much greater complexity, mm. which means that it can do things very differently than standard bacteria. We can't put it in that same in that same model. Right. Now, there's problems with some of the direct testing. For example, blood culture. If if I drew your blood and I cultured Borrelia bacteria, the spirochete, out of your blood, that means you had that spirochete in your blood. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's a direct test. Right. There's a problem with it though because there is a very small number of Borrelia burgdorferi in the blood. So the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, it's not primarily a blood pathogen. It's 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 a um, it's a facultative anaerobe, meaning that it prefers an uh, a low oxygen environment. So it doesn't really want to be in the blood, right? Because that you got more oxygen, oxygen in the blood. Exactly. So um, it, there's not a lot of this bacteria in the blood. So I can get your blood, and I can culture it out, but there may not be anything growing out in it because there's not a whole lot in the blood anyway. Right. I got to get a large volume of blood to make sure I catch it. Secondly, it, the bacteria are very slow growing. If you think about tuberculosis. It takes a long time to treat someone with tuberculosis. Uh, it can take a while to diagnose them you know, or culture them because the bacteria grow very, very slowly. In fact, the cultures for Borrelia can take 10 and a half months. Wow. That's a long that's time. That's a long time. So that's you're waiting like, for a diagnosis for 10 and a half months? That's almost like the <coughs> time it takes to give birth to a baby. A month and a half short, but yeah. generally it's yeah. similar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it takes it's a long, long time. Right. Then things like with uh, DNA amplification, uh, the PCR technology, great technology. Again, uh, it's considered experimental. PCR is considered experimental by the IDSA for diagnosing Lyme disease. And again, we're looking for this complex, more complex uh, genome bacteria in the blood. So we'll pull the blood out, or or spinal fluid, or you know anything else, and we'll do. Uh, PCR technology to try and get the DNA from Borrelia from that tissue uh, specimen. That concept is considered experimental by the IDSA. Now, if you find it, you find it. Why that would be experimental, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, if if you find it, it's there. Right. But the problem is, just like with the fact that there's limited numbers of bacteria in the blood, there's also limited numbers of these DNA in the blood. Your immune system may do a good job of keeping that out. You know, I'm not sure, but it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Mm. It's if you if you get the right clump of hay, it's in there. You just got to dig through it. But if you get the wrong clump of hay, it's not there. Mm. You can look all day long. Well, Doesn't mean like the test is is bad necessarily. It's just, it, it's difficult to find the stuff. Um, then uh, you know the antigens in urine, dark field microscopy. Again, we talked about some of that stuff. So direct testing, <clears throat> while while beneficial, and if you find it, it's great does not mean if you don't find these things that you don't have it. Right. So it gets a little more rocky. Then you can do direct testing. And this is where the, um, it's called the Dearborn criteria, the Dearborn guidelines, or some people call it the CDC guidelines, uh, kind of starts to come in. And there's basically, there's there's a number of tests, but the primary ones that we're going to talk about here are the ELISA, which is an enzyme-linked 
immunosorbent assay, and the other one is a Western blot. They both have a little bit different uh, technology, and we look for things a little bit different ways. So the first part of the, um, the Dearborn guidelines is that it is, they, they recommend a two-tier test. And this is similar to how, you know, back old school when HIV first came out, you wanted to get tested for HIV, they would do an antibody test. And if you found the antibodies, then they would do a confirmatory Western blot uh, confirmatory test. So what does all that mean? Well, the antibodies, in order for a test to, to have, we want to start with a screening test. With a screening test, you want to have something that has a high sensitivity. In other words, it's going to pick up, you want it to pick up everybody. You know, if you're, look, you're going to do a test and you want to know how many people have green eyes, then you set up a test so that everyone with green eyes is lumped into the category. Mm. But you might get a couple of people with hazel eyes, which means you might get a couple of people with brown eyes. So the, the sensitivity means you catch all of them. You want something when a screening with a screening test. You want a very very high sensitivity. Now, you, that doesn't mean that they do have it. You have to do confirmation. Right. So in this screening process, we want to catch everybody. Mm -hmm. So an antibody test, or in this case the ELISA, should be a very very sensitive test. So once we we say okay we see antibodies or we, we did the ELISA test and we think you're positive for Lyme disease because the test is sensitive, uh, but it's not very specific. Mm -hmm. Specific means that the test only picks up the people with Lyme disease. Right. If you're looking for eyeballs, only the people with green eyes get picked up. Right. And everybody else is, is thrown to the side. So the, uh, the more sensitive, the better the screening test. The more specific, the better the confirmatory test. Okay. Is, that, is that making sense? Yeah. Okay. So the Western blot is supposed to be the very specific test. So we get the sensitivity with the screening test. We confirm it with the confirmation test. So the ELISA test is supposed to be the screening test. And by that Dearborn criteria or, the, or guidelines, um, we'll do the ELISA. And if that is positive, then we'll do the confirmation test. If it's not positive, then you're done testing. Mm. The if you are positive, then we do the Western blot. And the Western blot is basically a test that looks at certain size proteins and how they migrate through this. You know, we apply electricity to how they migrate through these these tissues, and these different sizes of proteins will yield these bands. And it's a little stripe on the on the medium where you'll have uh, this little highlighted mark, so to speak. And then they, they use a scale basically to tell us where these things are. And the proteins are scaled in kilodaltons, uh, KD, and that's the size of the protein. And so like a 31 kilodalton protein will migrate through that, that medium at a certain rate. And, but a, you know, an, a 93 might, is going to migrate at a different rate because it's a bigger protein. <clears throat> so the Western blot is looking for certain bands of proteins. And if you have these specific bands, then they'll say, okay, that's the confirmatory test. So we associate these proteins with, in this case, the Borrelia burgdorferi. There are some on a Western blot, and we'll definitely get more into this after the break, but um, there are some that are very specific to a certain bacteria or a certain uh, structure, 
and there are some that are not, but may still be a little bit helpful. <clears throat> so on the Western blot, the Dearborn guidelines, uh, there's a couple of different tests that we do. The first one is an IgM. There's different kinds of antibodies. IgM is the first antibody that will uh, show up in response to exposure to an antigen. If you get, you know, you were you were military, so you got immunizations, right? Right, all so, the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we like to be uh, pincushions for yeah. those things. So we will do a, um, you, when you get a vaccine, the very first thing to respond is an IgM. That's an antibody that responds in a very short period of time within a couple of few days, and you start getting elevated IgM levels. And then the other way to look at this is IgG. It's the, it's the second antibody. Again, you get that vaccine, IgM levels come up. Over a matter of a few weeks, the IgM levels begin to decline. IgG levels, which are much more specific to that antigen, begin to rise. Mm. Normally, uh, we will convert IgM to IgG within six weeks. So you get an, uh, a, uh, an immunization and the IgM levels go up, they'll begin to decline, IgG levels come up, and so six months later, you don't really have any IgM, right. but you do have IgG. Right. So the thought is we can determine if something's an acute infection or a chronic right. infection or exposure. Right. So on the IgM immunoblot or Western blot, by the Dearborn criteria, they're looking for three different bands. And you have to have two of the three bands. You have band 23, 39, and 41. Of those three, you got to have two of them that are positive in order for that to be a Western blot. Or on the IgG, looking at that other antibody, um, five of the following have to be positive. And there's 18, 23, 28, 30, 39, 41, 45, 58, 66, and 93. So you got to have uh, you got to have a um, uh, five of any of those bands and. By the Dearborn or CDC criteria, the Western blot can be uh, can be positive. So you have to have either two of the three or five of, uh, of of the rest of those in order to have a confirmation and thus a diagnosis of Borrelia burgdorferi. Mm. Um, so, well, there's there's a whole litany of problems with this criteria, and we'll talk about those here in just a minute. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and we will discuss why the CDC is crap. Why, why the criteria well, for, <laughs> for, their, for their guidelines, uh, why I believe it is crap. The, the CDC is not crap. They're just using a different standard, uh, and it's not diagnostic. Are you tired and fatigued? Are you frustrated with doctors because they just don't seem to listen? Do you want to fix your pain without surgery? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then we are the clinic for you. We offer prolotherapy, PRP or platelet-rich plasma therapy, and stem cell injections, IV nutritional therapies, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, and functional medicine to get you back on track to optimal health. Call our clinic at 918-935-3636 or visit our website at www.revolutionhealth.org to schedule your appointment today. Okay, and we're back. So before we left, we were just about to talk about why the CDC criteria is not where you believe the standard should be, and why is that? Yeah. So again, we talked about that two-tier two process of the uh, ELISA test. So if you think you have Lyme disease or I think you have Lyme disease, you come into the clinic, and we're going to run this through a lab, 
and I want to know if you have Lyme disease. And I've done this on patients before. And one patient, I was fortunate enough to get back a positive ELISA test. And so then they went on to do a Western blot, which they said was negative, which is going to happen uh, most of the time based on the criteria that, uh, that my experience, most of the time based on these criteria. And through a traditional standard lab, it's going to go through this two-tier two -tier process because that's what the IDSA guidelines uh, or what's called, also called the Dearborn CDC guidelines say to do. But the first thing, we talked about the, the sensitivity and the specificity of a test. A screening test is supposed to be very, very sensitive. It needs to pick up everybody. Right. The problem is, is the ELISA test for Borrelia burgdorferi is, is just not sensitive at all. It, doesn't, it does not meet criteria to be a, a screening test. The sensitivity of it is crap. There are two studies that validate what I'm saying. So it's not just me saying this. Uh, and and, and the, the overall gist of this, the point of this is that if, you know, as we said, if you get antibodies or if, if I want to know if you have Lyme disease and I get antibodies on you and they're negative, that's supposed to say you don't have it. Right. In this case, that's not what it does. Hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, the IDSA uh, and most physicians don't recognize that that's the case. Uh, so, there again, two studies validating what I'm saying. The first one uh, this was a two-year study done at Johns Hopkins showed that the ELISA test for Borrelia burgdorferi had a 45% sensitivity. Wow. Only 45% of the time it was positive when it should have been positive 95 or 99% of the time. Mm. So much less right. than, um, than, than what we'd expect. Another study, just their conclusion was that the ELISA just doesn't have uh, adequate sensitivity to be used as a screening test. So that, that first concept of we need this two-tier test that if this is positive, then we'll go on, but it's only positive 45% of the time when it should be positive 100%. Right. So we're missing a lot of people, right. and you just you got to understand that part as the initial piece. Then, you know, like I mentioned before the break, I think, um, or maybe just a second ago, that I had done a lab and was fortunate enough to get a test back positive antibodies. In fact, I had, I had one this week right. that positive antibodies. Um, so now we've got to do the confirmatory test, which is the Western blot. Now we talked about those three bands that have to be positive by the Dearborn criteria, which is bands 23, 39, and 41 for the IgM. Now part, there's a, there's a couple of problems. The first is that this Western blot by the Dearborn criteria only includes one strain of Borrelia burgdorferi. There are different strains. And when you look at bacteriology, even with um, uh, probiotics, so people will take probiotics and they think that lactobacillus acidophilus is, is lactobacillus acidophilus. And that's just not the case. You can have lactobacillus acidophilus that doesn't interact with the human gut and it may not be that beneficial for you. When you look for probiotics, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, you want to look for specific strains of these probiotics. And they're going to be identified usually with a letter and a number, you know, like LA-5 or something to that effect. So with the Western blot test, it was only developed for the B31 strain of Borrelia burgdorferi. Mm. So, that, I mean, that's an important strain, but it's not the only one out there. Right. So the second piece is that it the uh, the western blot by 
the Dearborn IDSA CDC criteria specifically excluded two very specific uh, Borrelia-specific uh, bands on the Western blot. And they are 31 and 34. Those proteins are also called OSP-A and OSP-B. OSP, O-S-P, stands for outer surface protein. And the A is, is uh, the 31 on the Western blot. And the B, OSP-B, is 34 on the Western blot. They specifically excluded both of those, both on the IgM and on the Ig, IgG. Now, why would they do that? Those are very specific bands for Borrelia burgdorferi, Lyme disease. Why would they eliminate those? The reason they did it is because the, uh, the vaccine for Lyme disease, which we'll have another podcast about, um, w- was targeting those two proteins. So if I gave you an immunization for Lyme disease, which they did in the uh, late 90s, I believe, um, if I give you an immunization for Lyme disease, it would give you antibodies against 31 and 34. Right. So if I did a Western blot, you would be positive for 31 and 34. Mm. So they say, well, we can't use that because the, Lyme, the, uh, the vaccine covered that. Now, how many people do you know of that got the Lyme disease vaccine? I can't think of any. In my uh, over 20 years of experience in the medical world, I've seen one patient that got the Lyme disease vaccine. It was only out for about two years. Really? Not many people got it. And it went off the market, not because it was a bad idea, not because it didn't work, but because there wasn't a market interest for it. Right. And that'll be in the next, the, the podcast on the Lyme disease vaccine. Okay. So we eliminated two very specific protein bands that are very specific for Borrelia because the vaccine would cover for it and we don't want to get confused. <laughs> wow. So it just added to the confusion. Right. And then the next piece is that uh, the I, I use Igenix, which is a lab that does a Western blot. And what's different is that they include 31 and 34, but they also include another strain of Borrelia, uh, specifically uh, strain 297. Now, when you include, oh, when you only do a Western blot for the B31 strain and you exclude the, the um, 31 and 34, the OSP A and B, then the sensitivity of that test is only 46%. That's not very good. Exactly. Yeah. So when you include strains 297 along with B31, as well as include the OSP A and B, or the, the 31 and 34, um, your, sensitive, your sensitivity goes up to greater than 90%. Wow. So we have a much better test for Lyme disease with a different lab. Now, some doctors would say, oh, well, everyone that tests, you know, all those tests are positive when they, when they send a lab to Igenix. Well, I can tell you that the only people that use Igenix are, the, are physicians that are used to dealing with Lyme disease. You get physicians that are used to dealing with Lyme disease, and they do a better job of sorting out who does and doesn't have Lyme disease before they even send a test. Mm. I'm only going to send a test if I think there's a chance it might be positive. Right. If I send 100% to the lab, then I'm going to get a lot of them that are negative. Mm-hmm. If I only get the ones that I think, mm, I think this might be Lyme disease, of course I'm going to have a higher incidence that it's positive. So to say that, oh, it's all positive, that's, you're not using science. Right. It's, and that's, that's where I just get fired up because 
this is using science. It is a good lab. It is a good test. Right. And you have to understand where the bands come from and the strains that are being tested for Lyme disease. That You have to understand the testing. And that's why I think this podcast in particular is so important because the testing matters and you have to understand why. Uh, so on the Western blot, those are some of the, the issues with it. Now, there are seven bands on this Western blot that are very specific to Borrelia burgdorferi, the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. Right. Seven of them that are very specific. Band 18. And there is a physician, I believe is I forget his name, Dr. Roberts maybe, but he saw tens of thousands of Lyme disease patients, probably saw more Lyme disease patients than, than anyone else. And he felt, this is not, there's no study proving it, this was just his words, uh, but he felt that uh, if you had the 18 band positive, that that was diagnostic for Lyme disease. Wow. So, you know, is that proof? No, but that's good clinical acumen. Um, the uh, band 23, also called OSP-C, outer surface protein C, um, is very specific to Borrelia burgdorferi. Uh, band 31 and 34, we've talked about those there. 34 is very Borrelia burgdorferi specific. Band 39 is specific to the flagella. It's like a, a little tail, right. you know, like sperm have a little flagella, it's yeah. a little tail. Yeah. So the, uh, <laughs> the, the flagella on Borrelia burgdorferi, is, that is band 39. Uh, band 83, maybe a cytoplasmic membrane. And band 93 is also specific. Now, if you look at what the CDC or the well, or the Dearborn criteria use on their IgM, 23, 39, and 41. Now, band 41 is only 50% specific. So that means if it comes back positive, only half the time is it Borrelia, half the time it's something else. But the ones that are Lyme disease specific on the IgM, there's only one. Well. And that's band 23. Oh, I'm sorry, 39 is also specific. Right. Um, but so, you know, we, we're looking at fuzzy data, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're talking about uh, what, what's specific to Borrelia, how, how, what is going to give me the best test. Right. Now, another issue is that, you know, we talked about the IgM and the IgG, and normally it converts in six weeks. Uh, with IgM and Lyme disease, remember we talked about the, the genome of Borrelia. It's much more complex than your standard bacteria. So it actually has the ability to change some of its protein expression. The way our immune system works, we recognize protein expressions. We develop antibodies against specific proteins generally, um, against specific epitopes. And the Borrelia has a, the ability to turn some of them on and some of them off. So mm. express it, not express it, and those kinds of things. Um, and so because of that, it stays in this active form. Your immune system doesn't really get a chance to convert the IgM to the IgG uh, you know, because of this multifaceted way in which it presents. Right. And there are three studies that validate this as well. Uh, the first one was done by Steer in 1979, and it showed that IgM increases during exacerbations but decreases during remission, and it can do that for up to 18 months. That was one of the conclusions from that study. Another study done in 1984 by Kraft showed that persistent IgM antibody uh, is associated with more severe disease. Hmm. So again, it doesn't really fall into the traditional uh, immunologic process of IgM converts to IgG. And then the, uh, the, uh, the next study is by Maserati in 1992, showed that 50%, 56% uh, of early Lyme disease had a positive IgM after six months. And that's just not the way the rest 
of you know the the immunologic evaluation goes. Mm -hmm. So it can get very complex in evaluating for Lyme disease, and you'll get a lot of very intelligent physicians that will argue the point. But we've got studies showing it's not as black and white as they think. Right. And the the last piece, and then I'll wrap it up, is that another component of this is Lyme disease patients, chronic Lyme disease patients, are sick patients. The, the bacteria evades the immune system. Their immune system becomes dysfunctional. They, uh, the, these antibodies will interact with antigens, and so they're not available for the test, so they don't often show up. And so what we find is that sicker patients often have fewer antibodies um, because the Borrelia is immune suppressive. And uh, so more often, they have actually negative tests. Mm. But you get healthier patients with chronic Lyme disease, and they are much more likely to have a positive test. So you get these people that you're like, oh, it's probably not, and and they have a raging positive test. You get these really sick of stink patients, and it's like, holy cow, nothing was positive on them. So it's a very interesting uh, disease process. um, And... You know, the more I learn about this, and certainly the more I've interacted with patients, the more I've been able to identify, the more I've found, uh, and the more patients that we've been able to help. So it's just a fascinating disease, uh, and I've, I've seen patients for several years with, with Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Uh, but, you know, stay tuned to our next podcasts, and we're going to talk more about the history of Lyme disease, uh, what we can do about it, how do we treat it, and in talking with Dr. Horowitz, he thinks he's really close to a cure for wow. chronic Lyme disease. So very hopeful for you know patients that think you might have something like this. Uh, certainly come see us. Uh, come see someone specific that knows uh, Lyme disease and, and all of its ins and outs. And uh, uh, you know hopefully we can get you feeling better. Sounds great. Thank you so much for spreading the knowledge about Lyme disease. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat for the next segment. I want to know more about it now. Every time I walk outside, I'm going to have a hat on because I'm going to be worried that a tick might drop on my head (laughs) and give me Lyme disease. But if I do get it, then I know who I can come talk to, and I'm sure you'll do a great diagnosis. But until next time, thank you so much, Dr. Edwards. Matt, thanks for being here with me. Thanks for helping me out. And uh, stay tuned for a lot more on Lyme disease. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast with Dr. Chad Edwards. Tune in next week where we'll be going against the grain.